Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And no vicar yes, yet. No <laughs> vicar. He's getting moved in. Uh, I, I'm kind of breaking him in slowly, so... I, because I am a nice guy, he moved in uh, Tuesday of this week, and uh, I said, uh, your installation is on Sunday, and just the only thing I ask is that you come Monday morning ready to go. So he's got this week to get settled, get familiar with his surroundings, and uh, be ready to go on Monday. Nice. So family? F- no family? Uh, a wife. Wonderful. Thanks be to God. So, uh, um so uh, th- yeah, that's he's uh, I think ready to go. I, we haven't talked about the podcast yet, so Uh-oh. you so, need to uh, really start floating that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make you, you know, but you know every other vicar has in the last, you know, from fifteen on. Exactly. <laughs> it'll it'll make you a better person, vicar. It'll make you a better person. <laughs> So, see, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. This will be our sixth vicar part of the show. That's hard to believe. That is hard it? to believe. <laughs> I, Frankly, I wasn't sure this was going to go more than, like, a month. <laughs> <laughs> you so. know, that, that that is my general nature to get uh, really excited about something. I think it's part of the ADHD thing where you get really excited and you get gung-ho. And then when it becomes uh, normal... Then it's not exciting anymore. <laughs> yeah, and yet not, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Um, so we are recording. Uh, Peter's at work. We're just g- getting this in uh, when we can with various with my schedule being kind of busy this week. Yeah, I just came evenings. off the mountain. So, oh, you had a mountaintop experience. I I did actually. I was preaching on Daniel chapter twelve uh, for the closing camp stuff up there. And so I've recently come off the mountain and Are you now still I'm glowing? Here. Are you still yeah. glowing? I still have horns. I still have horns. Okay. Like <laughs> uh like our favorite pictures of Moses do, you know. Right. So okay, But does, yeah, does, it was can fun. anybody like have to refrain from touching you or being too close to you yet or Well, that's it, just all the time. Okay. I mean, that's just a Midwestern thing, man. Okay. <laughs> You know, we we like our bubbles. It's, you know. Um, and, and actually, though, don't you think it's a Western thing? Like a lot of people move to Wyoming to get away from people. That is exactly true. And uh, if we like our space in the Midwest, they really like their space. I, I suppose I suppose it would be kind of uh, interesting to, you know, to be out where you maybe have a house on a ranch or something where there's you're literally 10 miles from anyone else. Yeah. Or more. I mean, like it'll be interesting in the winter when the snow starts to fall and if it's like last year, it'll be kind of like a cross between you know, The Shining and Father Brown or something. So <laughs> <laughs> all work and no play makes. <laughs> because yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you get uh blizzard type stuff. Although there, depending on the where the wind blows, can you have like a blizzard one day and then it be like sixty degrees the next day? It can be that way, but um, last year it never got warm enough for things to melt, and 
when I was c- contemplating this call, like I couldn't get here. I couldn't actually visit the city because all of the passes were closed for wow. multiple weekends. So, and you can get slammed with like a September snowstorm or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So you could be literally a month away from your first snow. That is correct. Thank you for bringing me down. <laughs> well, 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 anytime any, anyone in northern Iowa can brag about their weather, it's a good day. <laughs> yep, that is true. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, Peter's not here, so we have to remember if we ramble, he has to work more to edit this podcast. <laughs> That's right. So do you want to do the text for Sunday? Yeah, let's... Let's uh, do the text for this Sunday, and then I would still like to hear um, some of the other texts surrounding this from the, the Lutheran Missile Project. Sounds good. I have Luke 19, 41 through 48. This is the 10th Sunday after Trinity. This is actually one of my favorite ones and one that actually sticks in my mind a lot just because it's so very different. Um, and typically... Uh, during this church service, the old Missouri Synod habit was to read uh, Josephus's account of the destruction of Jerusalem, like after the gospel reading, which really? is kind of cool. And it's actually in Walther's hymnal, which was translated a few years ago by Matthew Carver. So, you know, if you want, go look at that. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's the kind of text though that that I always, I always every pastor who reads this has an internal chuckle because uh, they read it and they say, this is the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll go, it's, it's not a very long text, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. When Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, "That would, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Uh, this is the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So this is a this is a good one word that comes to mind uh, that uh, I would say probably uh, if I had to per- per- put a percentage on it, I would say. Maybe half would know what this word means, and, and that is the word obduracy. Yes, yes, that's a great word. That's a great word, uh, which which means it's a it's a way of, of maybe a a, a sinful um, unwillingness to change when confronted right. with God's word, impenitence, uh, um, kind of locked in. Uh, to your way of thinking without at all being willing to change, especially when it comes to God's word, whether showing your sin or showing the light. And when Jesus uh, speaks these words, he is dealing with people who are uh, 
obdurate. Is that the proper way to say that? Yep, that's right. And and so the things that make made for peace, uh, the the salvation that was uh, right there in their midst, the very Son of God who came, uh, came to a people that uh, rejected Him. And uh, interesting, I think a lot of people maybe have the understanding when it comes to judgment like this that somehow God enjoys it, like it's like it brings Him great pleasure to to judge sin and to have these terrible things happen. That's not Jesus' response here. He wept over it. Right. And I think, in some ways, I think that is is missing because, um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, this when you're talking about your Christian freedom uh, aspect, but things can be so divided that we no longer weep for the lost, but rather we think in terms of how can we defeat them and their ideas and make them suffer as though we're the judge. Um, We're not the judge. And uh, there is something to be said about weeping for them and praying for them, even as they reject Christ. There's nothing Jesus would want more than from them at that moment to turn. Uh, But they refused. They uh, They chose a way of obduracy. And this is this goes right into um, what we've talked about uh, uh, earlier at earlier podcast. What I would say would be uh, being a good listener to the sermon, and uh, uh, you called it anti anti homiletic. Yeah, where how to be a good listener? Um, we should not go in to hear God's word in an obdurate manner. You should go in to hear God's word to be enlightened, to be changed, to have your mind changed, uh, not with the willingness of this world and the craziness of this world, but according to God's word. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time, pastors will will will, will, will uh, shake their head when they, they say this. The most, most of the time that people will comment on the sermon being good generally is because there was at some point a wonderful, wonderful confirmation bias in their sermon, mm-hmm. where it confirmed. Which there's a good side of that. I mean, you want to be consistent, but it, but confirmation bias, and they go, "Well, yes, that was true," and I sure so, sure hope someone was listening. And that that could be frustrating for a pastor because we want you to be listening too. We want you to be right. cut to the heart, um, and. If I look back on on my work as a pastor the last twenty five years, I I do see uh, this type of not like condemning obduracy, but uh, continual where everything you have to pick sides, and I am unwilling to change my mind. Or uh, if you encroach on some political statements that people may may hold as far as according to God's word, well, then I'm going to get offended or upset when you're preaching God's word, and it may confront their own worldview that they don't want to hear. Right. Um, that's being obdurate. And uh, taken to its logical conclusion, Jesus shows exactly, exactly where that lands in judgment. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we often, that, and as I look back for 25 years, 
Uh, one thing that I think we see more of now um, is an understanding amongst Christians that it may not end well anymore. <laughs> you, you see this uh, in uh, the popularity, I think, of the Oppenheimer movie, where all of a sudden now we're talking about nuclear war and nuclear dis- uh, uh, destruction, and then we think, well, this seems like it's more likely again. We're thinking more of, um, I think that's part of why it's so popular right now, um, is where we kind of go through waves where we start thinking again of the end of the world and uh, the destruction that we might face. And anytime you read the prophets or you read a text like this, um, it's okay to not be comfortable about that because um, there is repentance that is needed. The other aspect, too, that I think is often lost that we see here in this text is this. Um, One thing we are very good at focusing on as Christians as a pastor is repentance of the individual. Mm -hmm. And many, many times, many times in the the Bible, there is also a place for uh, group repentance, people coming together to repent. For example, a call of repentance to Nineveh. Right. Or the prophets calling all of the children of Israel to repent. Uh, leave, you know, the bride, leave your bridegroom, leave your plow in the field. Who knows? Um, uh, and it, I think both are important because I do think uh, kind of a, a group repentance actually can lead others as an individual to, to be less obdurate. And we live in a time where everyone is, it's the rugged individualism, I've got my views. You see this in communion when people are so offended if you say you can't take communion because who are you to judge me? We're all individuals. Uh, But uh, part of this is we need to also remember that this is our people too. And we're kind of lumped in. There's a lot of good people lumped in to Jerusalem at that moment who hadn't rejected Christ who suffered. Yeah, and that's what we see, right? We actually see that the common man listens attentively to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the Pharisees and the scribes couldn't do anything. Even They couldn't destroy Christ right away because uh, the people were listening attentively to him. The common man, uh, this is kind of kind of reminds you of Seminex, right? When the common man stood mm-hmm. up against the elites of the church and actually stopped them from continuing down a road. The problem is, is that Jesus is going to die in less than a week. And then these people are going to be misled, right? Mm-hmm. It really does matter who your pastor is. It really does matter what body you're a part of, right? I have a, I have a question. So because we're talking about abduracy and the common man kind of standing up, do you think, in your opinion, Berg, that uh, if something like that happened again, that uh, the the laity has enough biblical knowledge to stand up to some of that. I'm not sure. I I think we have a a lot less than what we did in the 70s. I think the statistics would also bear this out. 
that our biblical knowledge is not where it needs to be. I want to say they were actually doing some um, surveys at like the National Youth Convention and the numbers of people of LCMS Lutherans who were there who had, you know, were more accepting of homosexuality and some of that kind of stuff. It, they seemed kind of high. I don't know if you've ever, if you've heard of any of those numbers. Um, um, not, not real recently, but uh, I have. Um, we're always, it's always shocking, you know. Yeah, and so it just seems like, yeah, we we really need to focus more and more on the education of our children. I just saw this terrible statistic. I want to say it was Matt Walsh who put it forward, but I want to say it was like 35% of this one university, was it Brown University maybe? Uh, they identified as non-binary, LGBTQ+, and we're also seeing the same thing of the Zoomers, the Z generation, the one after millennials, because mm-hmm. everyone blames millennials for everything because they're a good whipping boy. But you got to think, I'm a millennial and I'm pushing 40. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so a lot of these young kids now, they're Generation Z. And what they've been taught, both through movies, TV, uh, and in uh, educational systems, is that it's, you know, should be celebrated to be binary, that you can choose whether you're this or that. And it's really quite amazing to see this shift, this, because we've taught them this, their numbers are much, much higher than that of millennials or of the boomers. So to me, to me, I, I I would kind of characterize it as a, a Gen Xer is, uh, it just seems to me that this is the goth crowd finding something else in a way that's yeah where, where, where they're like it's a kind of a social currency they want to be able to stand out and, and because there's no way from a that uh 35% of people that that kind of shoots in the foot the whole idea of why well, I was born this way argument you're saying 35% of people were born that way i don't think so yeah well, and that they they can choose their gender. And in the back of this, of course, is some sort of Gnosticism and transhumanism, right? That, well, I am the creator of who I am. And therefore, I can make my identity what I want it to be. Right. Right? And unfortunately, you know, unlike the goth kids that, you know, you and I hung out with, there, it's pretty easy, like, if you come out of it, it's like, okay, I'll just take off the black nail polish and, you know, the the black clothes, right, and take a shower. Right. <laughs> this, I mean, the sort of stuff, the mutilations that people are doing to their bodies, the sort of hormone treatments, um, how reversible is that? I don't know, but... You start monkeying with hormones, that seems yeah. like a bad deal, right? Um, yeah. And then we allow children to do this. And that's, it's just a bad deal. And that's where, you know, really we have to be pushing for, you know, Christian education, Lutheran education, 
um, whether you're homeschooling, going to a parochial school, whether it be in Sunday school or cat or catechism or whatever. I mean, we just we need to get better because I mean, think about it. Think of what Sunday school was like when you first became a pastor. Did you ever have like uh, monthly Sunday school teacher meetings? Uh, quarterly. <laughs> well, at least you were having them, right? Mm-hmm. Where you got to talk about all this stuff. I've never had anything like that. And so, you know, where you actually sit down with the teachers and go through, okay, what are you going to teach, right? And that mm-hmm. was one of the big uh, bragging points that Fritz brings up in his book, The Practical Missionary, which is on Kindle, uh, and you can also order it on Amazon, great book. It's a Missouri Senate Lutheran uh, professor who wrote this book on how do you do evangelism. His whole point was like, our Sunday schools were better than everyone else's. And I'm not sure they still may be better, but they're not nearly what they should be. Right. So, well, and, and, you and know, Sunday school is becomes increasingly second fiddle to everything else. Well, and even church. It's like, okay, right. sermons. I do wonder, it looks like all this data, you know, all this data that's coming out, how can people listen? You talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And that's that's no bueno either, right? No, so. no bueno. And, and going back to some of that, the trans, transgender stuff too, is I do think that uh, they're right now, I think we can change it a little bit. <laughs> I, I think there's a way, because right now, I would say there is a there's some some sort of uh, social currency in being a victim, and you know uh, um, if you can kind of prove somehow that you are kind of more oppressed than another group, well then there might be certain advantages that you can reap. Um, and I I don't think that's a small thing either. If you can get uh, special attention and be a hero for for changing your gender that's appealing to people you know or it's not less about achievement and uh loving your neighbor and uh it, but more about well well you're now one of these oppressed groups that you can join and and we're going to lift you up and then i say the reason why we, we can shift that is there is valor in, a, in victimhood but it's a little different it's it's uh the the, the valor of the cross of uh, suffering for the sake of what is good and right and uh, be willing to take up your cross and follow him, not for self-glory, for self-preservation, but for the sake of your neighbor and for the sake of the church and for the sake of the gospel and the God's word. Uh, that That is, though that doesn't give you a lot of social currency. Um, there's no, no. Sur- in being canceled. No, there isn't. So. All right. There's some ramblings from a couple of a Gen Xer and a uh, millennial. Yeah, <laughs> I've been old. I'm an old millennial. Please, right? I I I figure I I feel like I'm more a Gen Xer than a millennial. So, <laughs> well, no, I think you're more of a. I would say you're you're a millennial and part millennial and then part uh, a ref era. <laughs> you're, ah. <laughs> you're you're kind of. Just kind of straddling those two is my opinion. I'm just a man out of time. <laughs> All right, so we need to uh, 
finish our discussion as you have promised. Um, and and by the way, uh, um, uh, we should talk about the convention. Um, it's been uh, wonderful, wonderful things and some bad things, but so it goes. Uh, so there's your uh, convention coverage from us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tune in next week for part three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so uh confound the clarets your discussion on uh the application of our discussion on um the weaker right the weaker brother um romans 14 christian freedom um how to deal with your brother in this whether you're the weak one or whether you're the strong one and this might seem like a discussion that, oh, well, this doesn't have any bearing anymore. How do we apply this to today? I mean, obviously, we're not eating um, meat sacrificed to idols and that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so in the application, we should have Peter first play the intro. The intro. Confound the clerics. Getting into the application, then, is... is uh, uh, so in your it, it's a understanding of well who is the weaker how do we kind of apply this and and I think probably the the biggest um, example that I think you have and what I have here is the example of of Bud Light <laughs> Would right you like to talk about that yeah sure um, so if you've been living under a rock and haven't been paying attention at all. Um, in early April, Bud Light sent an influencer named Dylan Mulvaney. This is a, uh, a transgender influencer. They sent this man who thinks he's a woman a handful of beers. Mulvaney, in turn, posted a video of himself dressed like Holly Golightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's, a movie I've never seen, but I did like the song from the 90s. Uh, oh. You know, uh, using said beers to celebrate both March Madness and Mulvaney's uh, fake and fictional first year of womanhood. So I can't stress that Dylan Mulvaney is a dude. Okay. And this dude is not a woman. Dude looks like a lady, but is not a woman. Okay. Do you, do you get the, yes. the reference? Okay. Of course. Okay, thank you. I am a Gen even, Xer. You didn't even chuckle, so I ah, just... Ah, I didn't. Ah, ah. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, this was picked up by uh, conservatives like Matt Walsh, and here's some stuff that he said about this. He said, here's what we should do. Pick a victim, gang up on it, and make an example of it. We can't boycott every woke company or even most of them, but we can pick one, it hardly matters which, and target it with a ruthless boycott campaign, claim one scalp, and then move on to the next. The problem is that many conservatives don't have the stomach or attention span for this, and our political leaders, in quotes, are almost completely useless. There is a way to win real victories. We just need a little grit and a little follow-through. So, uh... Guys like Matt Walsh and others were really pushing for a boycott of Bud Light, uh, and it succeeded. Um, they lost billions and billions of dollars. Uh, they've actually still been talking about uh, selling off. Anheuser-Busch has actually talked about selling off other beers because their, their, uh, their revenue streams have not bounced back at all, even though uh, 
Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light, and this Dylan Mulvaney have actually uh, are now at loggerheads with one another. So that's kind of the the situation, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of interesting because this is exactly what Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 talks about, right? Should okay. we boycott Bud Light or not, right? How does that fit into what we've been discussing, right? Yeah, so um, is simply buying Bud Light a way of causing a weaker brother uh, to stumble? I, I right. would uh, I would kind of take it more in a kind of a just a, a worldly manner in the sense of um, – as Americans, we do have the right to to vote with our dollars, and and I would I would probably make it less about the beer itself and drinking the beer, and I would make it more of, of this aspect of it that um, the majority of our companies are would go along with some of that, even our our beloved Thrivent now, uh, and. The, the difference is, I think, in the advertisement aspect of it. We, you know, we can't control what everyone believes. Uh, and uh, that's something you've, you've talked about quite a bit. But if you are going to advertise in a way that is disruptive to society, to my family, then uh, and, and in a way that, that is, is uh, not helpful and... and uh, f- in, in your influence, I mean, it's an influencer. That's a, I think to me, that's the whole point of, of, of it is the fact that this is someone whose job is to influence people. And so when it's a position where you are trying using an influencer whose job is to influence people, particularly uh, not so much people my age, but who are the ones who are more susceptible to be influenced. Uh, those who are less obdurate uh, when it comes to the good things who are. Uh, and so that to me is the, one of the biggest issues when you're talking about this is that the, you're see they're seeking to be an influence and using their brand to influence others to this point of view, this anti-biblical point of view. Right. I mean, I think you're right that it's not about Bud Light in particular. Uh, it's about, are you sinning when you drink Bud Light, right? And I think this is a, a thing that, quest- that uh, you know, are you supporting something that the Bible expressly forbids, right? right. And the thing is, is that this came up before. First um, Corinthians 8, for example, the Corinthians had questions about this with meat sacrificed to idols, it wasn't about the meat, it was about the idol, right? Mm-hmm. Was it right for a Christian to eat flesh that had been sacrifice, offered in sacrifice to an idol? You know, if you want to talk about uh, influencers, idols were influencers before there was Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing, is, are we sinning, are we supporting or participating in the sins of these people if we do X and X, right? And so the Corinthians really had the same sort of question uh, that we do, right? I mean, this would be what is considered a doubtful thing that we talked about last time from Romans 14. Um, 
why do you think people weren't eating meat? Well, probably because it was sacrificed to idols, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. And so how does Paul deal with this? And I'm going to deal with the Bud Light thing in the same way Paul deals with meat sacrificed to idols in 1 Corinthians 8, right? Okay. So what are so what are the basic facts that Paul brings up and that we can also use with um, Bud Light or any other thing, right? Okay. Okay, so fact number one, idols and transgenderism are fictions. They're not real. So for example, verse four, therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Transgenderism isn't real because you can't change what God has made you. God made you a man or a woman. Now, you can mutilate yourself, you can call yourself a woman, you can do terrible things to your body, but the fact remains that calling yourself a transgender person or a woman when you're a man or a man when you're a woman is along the same lines as calling that block of wood or stone or gold a god who can help you. And both are dangerous. Yeah, but they're also fictions, right? Right. They're my, fictions. My point they're, I want to make that, that there is, well, people might argue, well, but see, this is really targeting people, this whole thing. And well, so we're idols. So that's why I was trying to, to make sure that we understand that it is, in a way, an apples to apple comparison. Yeah. I mean, lies, fictions are very dangerous. I mean, if I tell somebody that the ice is thick enough to walk on when it isn't, that can kill you, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the same way here. So- Fact number two, drinking Bud Light does not make you a transgender-loving liberal, just as eating sacrificed meat to idols makes you an idolater. So, we see this in verse eight. Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat, we are the worse. So this gets back to what Jesus has said before with meats, when he declared all foods to be pure and clean, it's not what goes into the mouth of man that makes him unclean or defiles him, right? Because that just goes right. to the stomach and out into the latrine. Drinking a Bud Light doesn't make you sinful, <laughs> even now. <laughs> well, right? well here, here's the interesting thing. Like, if you were to to uh, get a bunch of Lutheran pastors like five years ago and someone brought Bud Light, you'd probably get the same reaction that you would get today. <laughs> probably, Yes. <laughs> But for different reasons, right? <laughs> so I, I think that's another thing that, you know, Paul brings up that's true. It's like, no, you can. And honestly, the worship of idols was way more pervasive than even the transgender stuff today. Every holiday in, in the ancient Christian, in, in, you know, in the days of Paul, I mean, they were all devoted to idols. And they lived with this for hundreds of years. Right, yeah. All the meat you could get was sacrificed to idols. That's why Paul talks about them. You know, some people only eat vegetables. There, there is a difference then too between that and perhaps uh, using your money in a way that directly leads someone to sin. So, for example, if if you're buying services uh, where someone actively sins to give it to you, I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> 
No, that's evil, right? That right. actually is evil. Right. So, for that, example, prostitution right. is evil. Buying drugs is evil. You, yeah, using what God has given you and, and, and taking that and saying, okay, uh, I am, because we don't, I, I've, people, we don't always think of sin that way, do we? Where, you know, oh, I don't want to sin, that's, uh, that's spiritually damaging to me. Well, that's kind of a selfish way to look at it. It's also very often spiritually damaging to those who are around you, uh, especially, specifically when it is leading them to sin and enticing them to sin. Um, right. That's different than buying a Bud Light. Although the Bud Light could do the same thing. And that's exactly the next point, right? That the weak did not have that knowledge. They thought that by eating, or in this case, drinking, you give credence to the fiction, right? That if you eat or drink, you know, if you eat meat sacrificed to idols or you drink it, you're actually giving credence to idolatry, that these idols are somehow real or that transgenderism is somehow real and something to celebrate, right? And we see mm-hmm. that in verse seven. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with conscience, consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so there are people who think that by giving credence, you know, by drinking Bud Light, you actually are celebrating transgenderism, right? That's and sorry, then which that's, by the which does happen because, uh, uh, for example, there. Charles Barkley uh, recently was at a bar and he said, I, I want to buy everyone who wants a Bud Light a Bud Light because we're it, all about love. Is was it. So he was specifically using that to make that statement. Right. Well, and this is no different than, um, well, buying a hybrid or an F-150. We've seen this today, right, with vehicles. We've seen this uh, with where people shop and what people buy. If you buy a hybrid, oftentimes that is used to make a political statement. If you buy an F-150, you're more than likely going to be conservative, right? Mm-hmm. So even today, this sort of polarization, both in political and theological spheres, uh, what you buy oftentimes is used as an indicator of what you believe. And it's the same way here, right? We do not want our liberty to bring the weak into sin. And verse 10 says this, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So, for example, if I drink a Bud Light as a pastor and people see me, and they're thinking, oh, well, if I'm drinking Bud Light, I'm supporting transgenderism. Oh, I see my pastor doing it. Therefore, we have to support transgenderism. Right. And that's, that's the interplay of the weak and the strong. The weak don't understand that to the clean, everything is clean. Uh, to those who are uh, free in Christ, all things are pure and good and can be... Uh, sanctified by the word of God in prayer. 
that eating and drink, that the kingdom of God is not does not consist in, of eating and drinking, but is uh, righteousness and truth and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And these weak people who don't understand this distinction between meat and the idol are going to be led into sin because they'll see you and be like, oh, well, there must be something to this idol. Therefore, I'm going to eat. And by eating, I'm actually going to damage my own conscience. I think this is from a from a, the view of a pastor. This is something that uh, a lot of pastors, especially when they're first in the ministry, when they first become pastors, and they go to a small town, they find that a little suffocating. Like everybody's watching me. <laughs> yeah, you know, even at a potluck, they're watching. You know, whose food I take, <laughs> and I don't want to do anything to offend, and and or for people to get the wrong impression, and that can be uh, suffocating. For someone right. just getting into the ministry. Or let's say you're a pastor and you've been convinced in your own mind uh, that you're not going to eat beef for whatever reason. And let's say you start judging, you, you get placed as a pastor in a in a cattle you know area, right? That's not mm-hmm. going to go very well. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of the same way. Especially, and I think even about Roman Catholic converts, uh, let's say they were raised very strictly Roman Catholic during Lent, you only eat fish on Fridays, they discover Lutheranism, and they start coming to church, and then you invite them out to eat, and you serve them pork chops during Lent. And they're, they're not there yet. They don't have the Christian liberty yet to be to say, I'm free in Christ. All things are pure for me. So it's kind of the same way with this Bud Light. Uh, can God bring good out of evil? Absolutely. Does this mean by drinking a Bud Light, I'm celebrating or endorsing transgenderism? Of course not. Any more that, that I'm... Uh, uh, you know, in you know, um, when I buy something uh, on Amazon, that I'm you know endorsing uh, Chinese you know slave labor or Indian uh, you know Indian terrible wages, right? Right. <laughs> uh, because otherwise, you would almost have to live out of the world. We wouldn't have you a studio would. <laughs> to hear the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, by, well, by the way, do you know, do you know what a petri? There's a, I, what I would consider a petri dish for all of this is, uh, and it's and it's so funny when you look back on it. Is uh, when you get to, together at the seminary with first and second year sem students mm-hmm. about what is right and what is proper and what everyone should be doing or not doing. And they're just kind of figuring that all out. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? What about no, what you y- wear? About how do you handle yourself in chapel? About uh, well, and you talked about this too. Like one time you wore your clerical, and then people were really disappointed in you. The other time you wore like a polo, or was it a suit a tie. and tie? Yeah. And then they were disappointed in you. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing. Paul frees us up from all this nonsense, right? That uh, now, of course, See, the, we dif- should- the difference is like if if I decide to go without sleeves, then I would certainly be leading others to sin. So. <laughs> Envy of your guns. <laughs> All right. 
So uh, I guess my conclusion here is, is while I am free to drink Bud Light because transgenderism is a fiction and a fantasy, it doesn't actually exist, I will never drink Bud Light again if my brother thinks that because I'm drinking it, I'm in favor of transgenderism. And then he stumbles into sin, and by drinking it, he actually ends up supporting transgenderism. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the main point, is I'm free to drink Bud Light because it's not a thing. It, transgenderism is not a thing. It's not real. But I don't want to teach somebody falsely who hasn't come to that knowledge yet, right. who doesn't understand Christian freedom. Right. You know, the weak are not those who go around and demand that you do this or that. They're not the weak ones. They're the Judaizers. And we, you know, we have other words for them. So if they talk about getting circumcised, we tell them to go cut it all off. Right? (laughs) Like St. Paul did. And that's the difference. The weak are those who are so afraid of sin. They're so afraid of sinning, and they don't understand that Christ has set us free from that. From don't, you know, don't touch, don't handle, don't eat. And that for us, all things are clean in Christ. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. All things are ours. So that means I can eat, you know, pork sandwiches. I can, if I wasn't allergic to it, I would eat... uh, um, Oh, what were the, the the scallops? I wish I could eat scallops just to stick it to Judaizers, but I can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this is why everyone should be convinced in their own mind, right? right? This is what Paul says. And this is why we don't show contempt to one another. And this is why the weak don't judge the strong. That's why Paul says what he does. Yes. The, the way I like you, you say it in your paperwork here is exegete the person. Yeah, because there's not just one answer here, because you actually have to find out what are they actually struggling with? Uh, are they ignorant? It, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, everything in life as a pastor, knowing the people you serve. Yeah. And I think we're seeing more and more of this as the world becomes more and more politicized. There was a whole uh, thing on the art of manliness, it's ep- it's called it's episode eight forty seven. Uh, it's uh it's called overdoing democracy, and I mean even where you buy your coffee now has become a political issue. Whether you buy it at Starbucks or at Dunkin' Donuts, whether you <laughs> go to Whole Foods or um yeah I don't know Walmart or if right, your for, your food is ethically raised, <laughs> exactly driving a hybrid car or a truck. All of these things nowadays, and it's getting worse and worse all the time, where it actually is an indicator to others of what your political and perhaps your theological views are. Uh, now, I will say that that uh, 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 Julie's, uh, my wife's uh, SUV, she's got a Highlander hybrid. That thing's got like over 240,000 miles. Still runs right. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm sure you've seen this too, right? Where things have become way more political in even the stuff that right. we buy. Right. That, that's how you can tell our our district president, uh, I don't know if he still drives or not, uh, 
is unconcerned about that because he he dry has driven around Iowa East in a Prius. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, which is good. But I do think we're going to have to talk more and more about this stuff as time goes on because and remind our people that, hey, um, we shouldn't simply do what Matt Walsh says or any conservative. Because ultimately, yeah, I, I'm glad at least he said um, we can't boycott all these woke companies. And it's true, because as a Christian, if you were to stop interacting with everyone who's a non-Christian, you'd have to go out of the world. Right. St. Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians. Um, we actually have—if we are going to live in this world but not be a part of it, um, that actually means we're going to have to shop at places that maybe we don't— you know, we kind of know there's some not so good things going on there, like Amazon or Walmart or Target or whatever. Right. All these companies have bad things about them, all of them. And that's where, as you're thinking about where to shop and what to do, um, analyze it on the word, you know, on the basis of the word of God. Shop at a place or don't shop at a place for theological reasons. Be fully convinced in your own mind about it mm -hmm. and offer it to the Lord. And uh, if you see a brother Christian shopping at this place, don't judge them or hold them in contempt just because you've chosen not to shop there. All right. that's uh, That sounds like a good place to, to end that discussion and to move on to another one. Thank you for all that, Berg. Um, I have a news article that I want to talk about. All right. All right. So news news that bothers Berg. Peter, play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. So I don't know if this is going to bother you, Berg, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, this is about Pope Francis. Uh... He uh, recently made a comment about AI, because I think that we've said before, this is kind of uncharted territory, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Pope Francis calls for AI ethics free from violence and discrimination. So that is his big fear about AI. Uh, Pope Francis wants the next World Day of Peace to focus on the impact, opportunities, and dangers of artificial intelligence as a technology develops and influences a growing number of fields from information to warfare. Uh, Pope Francis calls for an open dialogue on the meaning of these new technologies endowed with disruptive possibilities and ambivalent effects, read from a statement from the Vatican on Tuesday. Uh, what are your opinions Hon on that? Honestly, I think that's actually a pretty good move. Huh. I, I, it's something I, we actually talked about is there's so many un unintended consequences that we don't know about that I think a lot of things with the internet, we fall, we, we kind of were hit reacting way too late. <laughs> right. Well, and Doug Wilson has put out a book, Productivity. I don't agree with him on everything. I think he sometimes doesn't... Uh, really engage the fact that this technology can actually 
change the way that we think and process information. And that's mm -hmm. where I think a book like that needs to be read in tandem with uh, like the shallows, uh, how the internet, how the internet has made us shallow. Uh, mm -hmm. AI, but but I do agree with this from Doug Wilson that technology is wealth. So instead of having, you know, slaves, we have technology. You have to think about that. I mean, isn't it amazing that in my pocket right now with my iPhone, I have probably close to 10,000 servants. Right. That, that makes me a very, very wealthy man, right? The question is, is how do I use that? You have the kind of information that 100 years ago, someone would have given their life's wealth to be able to find out. Exactly. And so if I have all of this wealth, if I have all of these ser servants, uh, how am I going to use them properly or how am I going to use them improperly? Are they going to be working for me for the glory of God and the good of the neighbor? Like, for example, this podcast is? Or are all of my servants going to be on the porch taking a smoke break and then I go in and smoke with them? You know, uh, <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the thing. It's how do we use our technology to get stuff done, to be more productive, to be better, uh, to free us up so we can do the things that God actually commands us to do, like spending time with our kids and our wives. Uh, can AI um, really maybe even speed up or make it more effective uh, for all of these different kinds of things, for estate planning or investing or whatever. I mean, I do think like, it, so basically it's like, and think about what I like about like, what I like about what you said there is, is it frees you up to do better things. And, and that's not human nature though, is it? No, unfortunately not. I mean, you look at guys like Steve Jobs and some of these billionaires like Elon Musk. That dude doesn't go pick up the groceries. Right. That do you, dude... Do you that know dude what? what, oh, go ahead. what how many souls have been damaged by this, having too much time and too much money? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a good combination as a general rule. And so that's the thing is, as Christians... We should always be striving to be better. We really should. And, and so, if you, so if you use the AI uh, to be better, more productive, and uh, I think that gives you an advantage over others who are just using it to to be lazier. <laughs> yeah, to be lazy and veg out watching Netflix or whatever all day, right? I mean, not to say that diversions like that can't be useful sometimes. But mm -hmm. I, I just look at it this way. I <laughs> We spend one hour in church, maybe two if we go to Bible study, maybe three if we have another Bible study during the week, right? So three hours. Mm -hmm. How many hours a day do people watch TV on average? Or on their phone or... Or on their phone or on some kind of device. I mean... I want to say it's something like six to eight hours. Yeah. I That that to me is using technology in a way that is not helpful for you. It's not 
helpful for your faith. It's not helpful for your family. And, you know, we should really reconsider that. So that's that's the thing. AI, I think, could be actually a very, very good thing. Uh, if we are if we are if we have enough self-control and self-discipline to use the time that we save in other better ways. So. And, and and at the same time being mindful behind those who are setting up the AI and understanding the influences that they have, how they can lead and misguide without ever actually people even knowing it. Exactly. This is where Neil Postman uh, and his books, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, and I think it's called uh, Technolopoly, so basically like Monopoly with technology on the front. And I think sometimes we think technology is a is a kind of a de- a democratization of others that it levels the playing field. Well, no, mm-hmm. it doesn't. Uh, those in charge of the technology are the ones who benefit. Yeah, look at Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he invent he he really got the home computer going, but it, the dude is one of the most wealthy and powerful men in the world. So even though we have benefited from it, nevertheless, who has benefited more? It's not yeah. like they're just giving this stuff away for free <laughs> right. either. Right. And like we've talked about, uh, the unintended consequences of these things, it's kind of like the reason the clock was invented. Do you know why the clock was invented? So that uh, they can be home for dinner before mom got upset? I wish. It was actually built in the 14th century. It was invented in the 14th century by monks who wanted to be more accurate in their prayer times. Hmm. On the clock doesn't mean going to church. Wow. <laughs> so it reminds you, me of reminds me of the this this uh story that's gonna make me sound like a really, really old man. Okay. <laughs> well you are so, Gen X, so So you know uh Alexander the Great, right? Yeah. He he uh, this was before clocks and he wanted his uh soldiers to meet at a specific time. Mm-hmm. And so what he did is there's a tree sap that changed color. And if you were to dip this strip uh in a specific sap, it would change color and so he had the soldiers wear these um, strips of cloth around their wrist and so uh, when it turned a certain color then that meant they were all supposed to gather together and uh, that invention was known as Alexander's Ragtime Band uh, but um, <laughs> how's that to end that we should probably end it that's a good place to end it right on a stupid I, I, dad joke Yep, I think that is a perfect place to end it. You know what makes that a stupid dad joke is the fact that uh, probably uh, more people know what obduracy means than what Alexander's ragtime band is. Exactly. (laughs) So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And may your bands be ragtime. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.